1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Disability Study channel on the New Books Network. This is Shu Wan, your host. Today, I feel very happy to invite Ben Mentelin to join us to introduce his newest book, Disability Pride. So the first question I want to ask Ben is that uh, I want to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience.
1: Oh, sure. Well, I'm glad to be with you. Um, I am a sixty year old uh, man with uh, I was born with spinal muscular atrophy, which is a muscle weakness. I've used a wheelchair my whole life, and uh, i uh, I'm a writer uh, i I work for well, I have written for different publications and websites and I've been fortunate to publish three books uh, kind of related to my uh, disability understanding.
0: Okay, thank you so much for your introduction of yourself. So next question is that I want to want you to talk about the reason you take interest in the field, a promising field of disability studies.
1: Uh, well, you know, I, uh, I live with a disability. I guess that's reason enough. Uh, uh, you know, I, I found out researching my my last book that disability studies really only began around the time of the Americans. With Disabilities Act of nineteen ninety. So when I was in school, there was no disability studies. It did not exist, and you know now it's everywhere around the world. You can get an advanced degree in disability studies. That's um, one one aspect, one one sign of what has changed for disabled people uh, over the past 35 years, uh, certainly in my lifetime.
0: Thank you so much for your answer again. So now let's turn to your book, Uh, Disability Pride. So for your book, my first question is that, could you please briefly talk about the history of disability rights activism in the United States before and after ADA, the milestone legislation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Um, you know, disabled people have been around as long as there have been people. Uh, so disability history is, you know, forever, and we're only starting to learn about some disabled folks that had been made invisible or erased from the mainstream historical record. Uh, I I knew, before I wrote this book, I had heard about the uh, independent living movement, people like Ed Roberts and Judy Heumann in Berkeley, California. But there's so much more to the story so many more people who contributed to uh, our understanding of, of uh, disability as a, a social phenomenon, not just a, a medical or clinical or pathological one, but a social phenomenon. Uh, uh, there were protests for disability rights uh, in the early part of the 20th century in this country. And uh, the the fight to get the ADA passed, well, it was a bit tricky, you know. Um, I think one of the big contributors to the, the cause uh, were the veterans. Uh, You know, people aren't too sure about people they think of as old or sick or something. But veterans, well, that's politically popular. So, uh, gosh, veterans from World War II were part of the reason that things like motorized wheelchairs were invented. And I think it was partly the Vietnam War vets who helped push through legislation, at least in this country, uh, so that with the ADA, you had Republicans and Democrats supporting it. It was truly a bipartisan effort. Now, even up to the last minute, there were some uh, attempts to undermine it, or limit it severely. And uh, heck, there still are uh, a lot of efforts to undermine the ADA. Um, Since it passed, well, it's primarily enforceable in the courts. So court cases have helped define the the standards and uh, uh, create a better understanding, I think, of the class of citizens that are entitled to ADA protections um, mostly to the good. Uh, but there are still efforts. there are political leaders and business leaders still want to do away with it or make it weaker because I don't want to comply.
0: So Thank you so much for your answer. So now for the next question, I'm wondering what disability pride, I think, is a big concept and, and, and phenomenon discussed in your book. What is disability pride is and why it matters for us?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It's a difficult concept for some people. It means, I think, different things uh, to different folks. Um, I started the book about five years ago. I began seeing uh, visibly disabled fashion models getting in catalogs and billboards for, you know, glamorous products. Uh, A paraplegic uh, woman won a Tony Award for musical theater. Uh, And I thought, you know, wow, uh, something has changed. Uh, There's a, a degree of, I don't know, acceptance of people are being publicly disabled instead of trying to hide it away. And I wondered how did that happen? How did these folks come to feel so okay in their own skins despite, you know, all the stuff society does to make people feel bad about not being, I don't know, whatever the normal Standard is supposed to be. Uh, How do they get there, and and, and how did they convince the uh, the gatekeepers of media that it would be okay to have visibly disabled people so prominent, so prominently displayed? I should say. Uh, So I thought about this idea of this. kind of self-esteem issue that people face. But as I spoke to different disabled folks, there was a theme that came up over and over again. So many people said particularly those who grew up with their with their disabilities, you know yeah when I was younger, I thought I was the only one like me, or I feel bad about myself. But as I grew up, uh, met other disabled folks, maybe online as well, and and, and got a sense of community, uh, as well as I think through disability studies, understanding the history, uh, the, the oppression that disabled people have always faced, uh, all these things help give people uh, a sense of, of pride about their heritage, about the community that they're part of. People still struggle with it. You know, it's kind of an ongoing thing for most of us. Uh, and it's all. Yeah, I think that it, it's, it's it's partly a matter of self-esteem, and and partly a matter of feeling connected to the larger community and and history. Uh, you almost can't help feeling pride once you understand all that, all that, uh, all the different things that. Disabled people are doing and have always done.
0: Thank you so much for your answer again. So, for our next question, I'm wondering how disability studies help us to understand the bigger concept, disability pride.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a, a very important part of it because <sighs> when I was in school, when I was in school, ha <laughs> long time ago, before disability studies, you know, I was very much on my own. Uh, I thought I had to prove something, and if, if I couldn't, I maybe felt bad about myself. I think when you have disability studies, uh, well, you get a perspective, uh, on uh, well, on the world and on the history and uh, you come to understand that some of the b- bad feelings where they come from they come from the outside from forces that are unfair and unjust and <coughs> Beyond your control, uh, and maybe you become a, a a bit of an activist. It, it gives you a, a sense of mission. You know that that you you you, uh, you you first have to feel pride about yourself and and your 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 disability, and then you can go and. Try to fight for your rights and, and other people, uh, you know, help other people feel a sense of, of pride as well. So I think all that can be really kind of engendered through uh, disability studies. Um, and there are cases, I, I quote in my book, uh, where, you know, students after disability studies would. would Band together and and the search for better access in the lunchroom and other other places, and not just disabled students. You know, non-disabled students take disability studies classes too, and they <coughs> I hope uh, learn something uh, about our situation. So, maybe we don't have to always be explaining it to other people.
0: Thank you so much for the answer. So, for the next question, I want to invite you to talk about what is disability justice and why it matters.
1: Disability justice. It's a good, a good phrase. Uh, uh, I think it's often misunderstood, and in a way, I feel a little uncomfortable talking about it because it was really coined by a group of disabled folks about 15, 20 years ago, uh, who wanted to address the shortcomings of the disability rights movement up to that point, and particularly I think the way it uh, did not address the particular issues facing disabled people of color and queer and trans disabled people. You know, I'm, I'm a, a white, cisgender, heterosexual guy, so I'm a, I feel, as I say, I feel awkward Talking about it because it was really, you uh, 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 specifically about the issues of of uh, intersectionality and, and the the way all these different uh, movements are uh, interrelated. Um, so. Uh, disability justice points out how uh, the very capitalist system that, you know, that pushes uh, your know, survival of the fittest and get ahead of others is inherently anti disabilities I think I'm saying that correctly uh, it you know, the disability rights movement, the ADA, is okay, but laws can only go so far, and they don't really address all the injustices uh, that, that often can't be
0: legislated.
1: At least that's my understanding.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for your answer again. So for the last question, I want to invite you to talk about the politics and the aesthetics of representation and the visibility of disability in the real world, um, cyberspace and on the screen.
1: Yeah, uh was I say I started the book because of this representation of of uh or, or really this uh, visibility of, of disability. Uh, 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 but you know, there are a lot of, uh, well, let me back up. Disabled people or disability has long been represented in books and movies and plays, but usually badly uh, you know, written and performed by non-disabled people, um, hang on one sec, yes, Uh, excuse me. Thank you. Um, I think we're starting to see more uh, actual disabled people uh, portraying their lives uh, in, well, on TV and movies and on stage. Uh, Writers like me, were able to get published, huh. and you know, I tried for many years to publish a book, and I could not until ten years ago. Uh, I think there is a greater awareness now in media about representation, and uh, you know, somewhat about disabled people being part of that. It's not just about race or gender or whatever. Uh, Now, look, it's still not enough. Uh, There's still a lot of bad portrayals of disability. Uh, But I think in the past uh, few years, we maybe are starting to see some improvements.
0: Thank you so much for your answer again. So for the next question, I want to invite you to discuss how healthcare disparities influence people with disability during the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, that's a biggie. Healthcare, where do I start? Uh, you know, if you go to a, a public restroom and you find an accessible stall, you're gonna see grab bars around the toilet. I have never seen grab bars in a doctor's office. Uh, How are you supposed to get from your wheelchair on the examination table? You're supposed to. I mean, doctor's offices are under the ADA, but nobody seems to think about that. They're never sued the way stores might be. Uh, So there's that. There's a a lack of access to facilities and to uh, medical uh, services. Uh, It became very clear during the worst of the pandemic that there... It tends to be a prejudice, I think that's the right word, a prejudice in the medical profession against disabled folks. Uh, It was revealed that there are, different states have different names for it, but there were protocols uh, in a medical emergency who gets helped first. Based on uh, what your survivability, I guess, uh, so that young people and non-disabled folks would get access to health care before others. In some cases, people were afraid that their you know, people who use, ventilators, uh, that they would have their ventilators seized, taken away, and given to others who might need them. Uh, There were other issues as well. I mean, we know how bad the nursing homes were, uh, how ill-prepared they were to uh, protect people during COVID, and a lot of disabled folks live in those institutions. Um, There is a physician, I believe she's at Harvard, uh, she has multiple sclerosis, and she did a survey of her fellow doctors, and they, they pretty much admitted they had no training in how to deal with disabled patients. And, you know, if, if a a patient called up for an appointment and said, gee, I use a wheelchair, or well, I'm blind or deaf or autistic or whatever, they'd be like, oh, we don't have any openings. Uh-huh. They would turn people away because they just didn't want to deal with it. I myself have Experienced it. Uh, A few years ago, I was in the hospital. And fortunately, when they asked, gee, uh, is his life worth saving? Should we do, you know, everything we can to preserve his life? My wife was there to say, yes, you know, don't. Don't shortchange him just because of his disability. It doesn't happen to other people. Uh, there was a story uh, of a man, a paraplegic, quadriplegic. I'm forgetting the details now, but went to the hospital, and the doctor basically said, we're not gonna help him. (laughs) The wife recorded the conversation. It's on YouTube. Uh, They didn't wanna help her husband and he died. And she said, yeah, maybe it was partly because we're black, but I think mostly it was because he's disabled. They didn't think he was worth their time. So these uh, disparities are severe and and really dangerous, and it was uh, particularly uh, clear in the the worst of COVID, but it's still clear today. I mean, the attitude toward you know no more mask mandates and everyone's acting like COVID is over. It, it's not, you know, and for people like like me, who were, you know, kind of high risk and and vulnerable, uh, it's a concern. I wish people were being more careful.
0: Okay. Thank you so so much for your answer again. So for the next question, I'm wondering how the legacy of eugenics affect people with disability today, especially in terms of the controversy about assisted suicide and institutionalization.
1: Mm. Yes, that is controversial. Uh, But it it relates to your previous question about healthcare. Uh, (laughs) Let's face it, it's simpler and cheaper in many cases to help people to die than to help them to live. Uh, Now, I know a number of disabled folks who just don't get why we, people like me, object to the efforts to legalize assisted suicide. Uh, People say, hey, I, I might want that, option one day uh it gives me hope they'll say that i can take that out if i just can't stand to live with my disability anymore uh, yeah well i'm all i'm all for for choice but i don't like the the, the, the standard for who is entitled to suicide being based on a medical diagnosis. Let everybody commit suicide if they want to. People won't go for that, you know. Uh, if an able-bodied person or a non-disabled person feels suicidal, there'll be interventions to try and, you know, talk them out of it or whatever. But if someone like, well, like me, uh, decides I just don't wanna live anymore, I don't think anybody would argue with me, you know? They'd be like, yeah, you're right. Uh, there have been many cases of people who petitioned for a prescription for for poison And oftentimes, uh, the judges or whatever would overlook the fact that these people had lost their jobs, their spouses had left them. I mean, there are other reasons that you can feel depressed. But it's so easy to blame everything on the disability. And uh, gosh, sometimes, how can you not feel, you know, suicidally depressed when society tells you, you know, no jobs, no romantic prospects, uh, substandard health care, uh, yeah, we ought to legalize assisted suicide for people like you, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. So that's what scares me. The more suicide, assisted suicide is legalized and it you know has been in more and more places, the more it sends a message to disabled people that they're expendable and indeed to legislators that you know that maybe they don't have to work so hard to make it easier to live with a disability. If, 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 you know, poison is an option. Uh, that's what scares me, the sort of systemic or, or uh, broad political standard that that says it's rational for a disabled person to wanna to die when it is irrational for a non disabled person. Um, that's not you know, that's again, that can be very dangerous, I think. I I hope <laughs> I hope I'm making sense. It's a it's a very tricky subject.
0: Yes, right.
1: But what oh, I believe yeah. in I believe in it very much.
0: Yeah, totally agree with you. So, now for the last question today, I want to invite you to talk about the future. After talking about the past and the present of disability pride, especially in American society, I'm wondering about the future of disability pride in our society.
1: Well, uh, the future. Hmm. I think the good news is that disabled people everywhere are active, are still active. I admit I was afraid when I started my research that maybe the younger generation had grown complacent that my generation and the one before me had given them Rights, and everyone was just resting on their laurels, I guess you you, you could say, uh, but no, I was wrong. People are still active in many different ways uh, 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 but it's always the progress you know it's never enough uh. I still think. Well, it's one reason I wrote my book. I still think it's important to help educate people and enlighten people about uh, the history and the community and the issues and yeah, you know, what what pride means and and why you should you should feel pride. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to always like your disability. It may it's gonna cause frustration. It may cause pain, chronic pain, you know, stuff you don't like. Uh, but that doesn't mean you gotta you gotta hate yourself. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean you it it, it, it doesn't mean you uh, would wanna well let, let me let me rephrase that i I've always felt that my disability is part of who I am, and if i didn't have it, I wouldn't know who i was uh, uh, I wouldn't have books to write uh, i wouldn't I wouldn't be on your your podcast uh, you know it it, it it' it's important to me. And I wish it were easier. I wish I didn't have the frustrations and the pains and all that, but it's part of who I am. And uh, I think it's important to to realize that and not feel bad about yourself, even if those aspects of your life are uncomfortable or, or problematic or or even painful. So I'm always, I I don't know, I'm an optimist, I'm hopeful, but I know, (laughs) I know saying that sounds kind of naive, because there are still a lot of issues out there uh, that can be very damaging for disabled folks. So, you know, we got to keep Keep alert and uh, keep speaking up and, and uh, spread the word and, uh, I don't know, hope, uh, hope things get better in my lifetime. I've seen tremendous improvements and I, I hope that continues.
0: Yeah. S- thank you so much for your answer to my last question. So at the end of our podcast episode today, I want to talk to, my, to our audience. So hi, my audience. I very appreciate you listening to the podcast today and uh, listen to Ben Mentorin's talk about his newest book, Disability Pride. I want to say as a disability historian myself, I learned a lot from reading reading Ben Menteling's news book, Disability Pride, and listening to his talk today. So I highly recommend everybody listening to this podcast, think about buy a copy of this fantastic book, Disability Pride. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. Have a good day. Thank you.